Welcome to the Against the Law Salon. We're here to detangle historical myths and comb out the real truths from the ancient world. Today's episode will put hair on your chest, or pluck it out, as we navigate the intricately woven braids of the ancient world of hair. I'll introduce the team. Today we have hairdresser Xenia, who thinks you'd look lovely in a demure veiled updo from ancient Rome. We also have Meg, who reckons you'd look lovely with a Spartan crop from ancient Greece. And Barney suggesting that you just slap on a wig and call it a day. I'm Flo, and I'm not an expert hairdresser, nor am I an expert on anything in the ancient world. Call me a sham shampooer, if you will. But I tell you what, I am so excited to let my hair down and learn all about it. So I want to know from each of you guys what sort of hair I might have in the ancient world. If I'm transported back in time, what hair would I be rocking? I'm going to start with you, Meg. So you're married, correct? Yes. And are you above the age of puberty? Um, yes, <laughs> although my wisdom teeth hurt, which nobody told me about that that would happen in adulthood. But yes, for the most part... I'm above the age of puberty. Okay. In which case, you would have long hair, but it would be tightly sort of braided or um, even covered up with a veil. So in ancient Greece, children, male and female children, have their hair long, just flowing around um, to sort of sign of freedom and youth. And then in adulthood, men have their hair cut short um, and women have their hair kind of controlled in some way, so braided or um, covered by a veil or that kind of thing. So if I uh, wasn't married or if I... So I'm currently rocking fairly short haircut at the moment. Would that mean anything to the ancient Greeks? So if you were an adult woman with short hair, um, like my hair, uh, that would unfortunately probably mean that you were a slave. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Faye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> female slaves had short hair. Um, and male slaves covered their hair, which is really interesting because it sort of suggests that they were both sort of forced to express the alternate gender role. So because adult free men in ancient Greece have short hair, female slaves have to have short hair. And because adult women in ancient Greece have long hair, um, but it's covered up, male slaves would sort of cover their hair. It's sort of a sign of deference almost and sort of being controlled by the, the free adult men in society. So there's loads of aspects in which hair functions as this sort of way of kind of controlling identity and expressing social dynamics so i've got to grow my hair out before i go time traveling then uh yeah i'd recommend it um but you could always just put on a little veil and you'll probably be fine interestingly as well prostitutes had sort of similar hairstyles to um like elite women the sort of um haircuts more determine whether or not you're a slave or not or whether you're um a child or an adult those are the, the key determinants prostitutes have sort of similar hairstyles um maybe a little bit shorter that's really interesting. So there was like almost like a, a bit of a class divide, but also age divide. Really interesting. Mm. I like thinking about um, child's hairstyles versus adult hairstyles in the ancient world, because I'm not sure there are many examples in the modern day that match this well, apart from maybe the trope of like giving kids bowl cuts. Pigtails, maybe. It's a real sign of, of adulthood, though, in ancient Greece, or at least sort of teenagehood, um, post-pubescence, basically, how you wear your hair. Um, because for, like I was saying before, for women, uh, your long hair would be sort of hidden away or braided. And for men, it would just all be chopped off once you get past puberty. There's a child's hairstyle in Egypt as well, that children were generally bald with like a single lock at the side. Interesting, because I swear they do do that in the film, The Prince of Egypt. Yes, the kids have it. Yeah, 
the 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 sort of yeah like almost like a top knot but just the top knot no other hair yeah i think do they do they have it on the side in the film because i'm pretty sure that's how it is irl that's really interesting so that is a within the law anti-gavel yeah exactly love that and although interestingly there are some priests that wear their hair like that as well um i think to the creator god tar and the idea maybe being that they're sort of like deferent and subservient to him so they wear the child's haircut in in their relation to the god wait that's funny though because priests i swear like medieval priests would have a hole in the top of their head and then the ring of hair do you know what i mean the tonsia yeah so if you combined those two priests you'd get a whole head of hair <laughs> <laughs> like the sort of transformers priest yeah yeah Medieval and Egyptian priests have one hair between them. But then you're left with the other guy who's just a bold, faithless man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Boy George. Boy George. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So in, in the ancient Greek world, I would probably have my long hair under a veil. But what about in ancient Roman times, Xenia? How would I wear my hair, please? So it's also about status. Um, as a married woman, you would have your hair up as opposed to loose and down. So young girls would wear it loose before they were married. And then once you were married, you would wear it up. Um, and it's also a sign of wealth because if you were wealthy, you would have an ornatrix. And that's the special name for a hairdresser in Latin. Um, and they could build up these really crazy elaborate hairstyles, especially if you were wealthy. I was just going to jump in on that. Oh, so... Do women go to the hairdresser in Rome? Is that a thing that exists? Ah, uh, no, they would have an ornatrix living in with them at the house as a slave. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I was just, I thought, I was just like, oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, because in Greece it's the same. Oh, so they have a slave as well, a live-in hairdresser. Yeah, like women would do their own hair, whereas barber shops for men did exist. Ah, yeah. So same in ancient Rome, the women would have theirs done at home, whereas the men would go out to get their hair mm -hmm. cut. But um, for the women, they didn't always cut the hair. The idea was to have it as long as possible so you could do these elaborate hairstyles. They would they would build up these walls of curls going like vertically up from their forehead really high. Um, and then usually there would be a bun at the back or sometimes um, hair going round the head. It very much depended on the fashion, which evolved over time. And like we talked about celebrities last time, um, celebrities could also set fashions for hair. So, for example, when Cleopatra was very popular in Rome, um, and this is around the time that she had her alliance with Julius Caesar, lots of women copied her hairstyle. So suddenly you have lots of statues of women that died around the time of Cleopatra and they're depicted with her signature hairstyle. That is pretty cool. So was Cleopatra a bit of a trendsetter then? Definitely. And not in the way that you might think. So like a lot of films show Cleopatra with that very typical straight Egyptian haircut, that sort of long bob. But actually on her coinage and on some of the statues that we have, she just wears it in a low bun. It's incredible. Like for all her wealth, for all her power, for all of these like ideas of excess that are attributed to her, it was an incredibly simple hairstyle. Like literally you or I could do it today, just knot your hair into a low bun at the back and there you are, you're done. Very um, business-like haircut actually. I was just thinking, because in terms of the contrast that you made with the Egyptian hairstyle, like in art, um, 
the variety of Egyptian hairstyles that did exist were very standardized. Mm. Um, and so the one that, say, you know, the wig that Elizabeth Taylor was wearing straight down to shoulder length with the fringe and stuff like that is not a million miles away from what you might see in the uh, in certain pieces of Egyptian art. So I just wondered if it was a similar like standard style. But no, Cleopatra was was all her own in that sense. So my options currently are in ancient Greece, I wear my hair in a style, but it's up maybe with a veil. In ancient Rome, I could um, do kind of almost similar. Um, but if I want to mimic Cleopatra uh, and girl boss my way uh, through life, I could have a low bun, which I will say when my hair is long enough to go into a low bun, I look like a scraggly pirate. So I might avoid that. But I want to know what sort of hair I might wear if I was in the ancient Near East, Barney. Well, in the ancient Near East proper, or heartland, the Mesopotamia, which we all know and love so well, women's hair seems to change quite a lot. But one thing it's not, or is very rarely, is hanging and down. Um, so it's often plaited, uh, or in top knots, or held up by headdresses, or netted. Um, but Flo, what I could do is recommend you some on a visual basis. Ooh, yes, thank you. So I know we don't often do this on the podcast, talk about looking at something online um, whilst we're recording, but I would quite like to see your reaction to a particular style. Oh, tell me. Live. Yes. Please, I can't wait. <laughs> okay, so there's something about it that might surprise you, and I can't guarantee it's the hair. <laughs> this is so cryptic. <laughs> if you go to Google... Can I make a prediction first? Yeah. Can I make a prediction? Are there going to be tits? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can I cut that? Because I don't want to sound like a pervert. This is very demure. No, these are votive statuettes from the um, early dynastic city-state of Eshnunna. Mm, lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they depicted men and women. So if you Google Eshnunna votives flow... And tell me what you think of the lady's hairstyle. Oh, is that a lady? Oh my god, her eyes. <laughs> she has seen some shiz. That is <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Everyone experiments, don't they, at university with substances. <laughs> That's like Belladonna in the eyes, like Victorians used to do, you know? She's looking directly into my soul. Like I I'm so afraid. How is she? Is that those goggly eyes? Like <laughs> <laughs> the earliest goggly eyes. The earliest. <laughs> <laughs> I would obviously, I would obviously recommend all of our listeners to look up Eshnunna votives at the same time. That's E S H N U N N A. But what's interesting about these um, is that although yes, the eyes really do jump out. Early Mesopotamian worship does seem to have an interest in big eyes. There are these little eye idols from another time that are basically just eyes. With a body, they look like E.T. Big eye obsession. Ocular fixation. Um, but no, so what's interesting about these is that they do have good depictions of early hairstyles, right? Because the hair is obviously not the focus of these statues. They're nonetheless depicting these worshippers with their particular hair. So you can see that the men in this case have their sort of shoulder length hair in these kind of waves with a similar length beard. And then the female hairstyle is sort of tied up uh, with like a braid around the back. And I think that's a fairly common hairstyle throughout Mesopotamian history for women, despite the variety. So 
That's one option for you, but obviously you'd have to get the eyes to go with. And the tiny hands. Together, the couple really remind me of that American Gothic painting. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Although I've gone against the law about that painting. Oh. It's meant to depict a father and daughter, not a wife and husband. What? God, she's not aged well. <laughs> she, she'd be working the farms, isn't it? She's had a look at the Ashnuna votives and immediately <laughs> aged. <laughs> I just want to say that the, that the hand of the lady in the Ashnuna votive, uh, the, the particularly wide-eyed one, is the one I'm looking mm. at. Um, the hand, her left hand is probably about the like maybe a third or a quarter of the size of her eyeball. Look at her feet. Her feet are massive. massive. Tiny hands, massive eyes. I'm kind of obsessed with her. She's a bit of an icon. She's got a husband, so there is hope for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, but he's also got massive feet. (laughs) You know what they say about massive feet, though? (laughs) Bigger eyes. Massive (laughs) eyes. Massive eyeballs. These are pretty old. Um, So... Early, the early dynastic period of Mesopotamia is before any of the <clears throat> major lineages of kings came in. And um, these are like almost 5,000 years old. So it's pretty cool to say that you can look at a 5,000-year-old hairstyle, even if it is quite demure. It's amazingly cool. I also love the concept that there's a Sumerian artist who's really proud of his work. And then many years later on a podcast, we're going, <laughs> big eyes. <laughs> Just completely reducing that. Well, I am. Sorry, Barney, you're not. You're giving it the reverence it deserves. So me and Meg, definitely guilty of some cajoling. Having some fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apologies. I think it's lovely. Well, if we're not going for that, then maybe the one other interesting hairstyle type I could pitch to you Flo is from Egypt and whilst there's quite a lot of variety in hairstyles there often with symbolic meaning a notable thing that you might be doing as a woman in Egypt would be wearing a wig over your long hair oh very hot in Egypt surely yeah hot and also in no way protected from lice no I might I think I'm gonna go for the Sumerian hairstyle if I'm gonna have to go with any of them I'm going to go with the Sumerian hairstyle just for the fact that I probably would get really nice petite hands and massive feet, which is what I've always wanted. But you, like, not having any protection from lice is really weird as a concept to me because I know that in more recent history, this this comes up every time I'm in a pub quiz because if I can name my pub quiz group, I always call us the Happy Merkins. And a merkin is the name for a pubic wig that one might wear to disguise the fact that you've had pubic lice and had to shave off all of your pubes. Amazing. I have so many questions. How does it stay on? Because if you're a if you're a prostitute and you're trying to get work, you don't want people to think that you have pubic lice, right? So you wear a wig on where your pubes go to go, look, look at me, lice free. Would I have pubes if I had lice? Don't think so. But I've got pubes, so no lice here. But that was the same sort of thing, I think, um, when it was very common to wear wigs it was usually because you'd have to shave your head because you'd catch lice definitely in samuel peep's time there's lots of information about lice and wigs and wigs and lice and wig lice actually in samuel peep's diary <laughs> you can i've just looked and you can actually buy a merkin pubic wig to pay on etsy oh you can buy anything on etsy what's the damage oh 87 dollars <laughs> Oh, it was a bit steep. Good lord. The exchange exchange rate, though, that's not that bad. I think it's still more than I'd pay for a pubic wig, personally. I think Merkins are subject to really high um, 
taxes as well. Mm, that would make sense. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Pubic lice were a big problem in ancient Greece, especially for people who had occupations like um, prostitutes and soldiers where you'd have to be in close contact with others. Um, so one of the theories for why ancient Greek women would get rid of their pubes or not get rid of them entirely, but um, pluck them or even singe them to get rid of them. They used to singe them with oil lamps. We have vase paintings of this actually happening of women kind of crouching over an oil lamp and, you know, singeing, singeing the area. Um, and that's partly, a sort of, again, a social thing, that having neat pubes is a sign of sort of uh, beauty and respectability. But also we think it might be because they were so worried about pubic lice. Well, so that does track as a, as a thing. There's no sort of easy way to treat an outbreak of pubic lice uh, up until relatively recently, I guess, other than just get rid of them or burn them off. I know. Oh, I just had a question about soldiers being in this category of close contact and therefore subject to pubic life. Okay, sorry. No, I meant, I meant, no, that, that, <laughs> that was a combination of two facts. Sorry, soldiers would have head lice, prostitutes would have pubic lice. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I thought, I thought the soldiers had just pulled this grand prank on history <laughs> and they're all getting pubic lice somehow and then say, yeah, it's because we're just fighting really close. <laughs> Lots of groin to groin contact on the battlefield. <laughs> no, that's such a great point. Um, I think that's that's headlines. Amazing. Okay, so we're on the topic of pubes now. Um, while I'm getting my hair styled, although not by a hairdresser, as I've discovered, but maybe by a slave who I've employed in my home to take care of my hair, um, would I be doing anything with my pubes? So, yes, in ancient Greece, if you were a woman, you would be as I say, plucking or singeing your pubes so they were neat. Um, you might be shaving them off completely. We've got some statues. There's a famous one of Aphrodite of Cnidos, which is one of the first Greek statues of a woman completely nude. Everything is out. Um, and she's got literally no pubes, nothing. It's a, it's a triangle, uh, effectively. But we don't think that's the norm. So I presume that you wouldn't have a handled razor with three diamond-tipped blades for an ultra-smooth <laughs> shave. Don't forget mm. the moisturising gel. Venus! Venus! <laughs> oh yeah, my god. That's funny. Classical reception in shaving products. Absolutely. No, you'd be... We have evidence for some razors for men, actually, but not very often because um, adult men kept their beards normally. But yeah, for the pubes, women would be plucking or singeing. Um, I also have some male pube facts, if you'd like them. I know they wouldn't apply to you, to you specifically, Flo, but... I'll let, I'll let my husband know. Yeah, okay. Well, for him, um, it depends what era of Greece you were in. So according to the kind of the representation of pubic hair in art, it's so interesting. This There's a really clear, it's, a, it's obviously not kind of completely delineated, but there's quite a clear distinction between different periods of Greek history and how people's pubic hair looks in statues. So in archaic Greece, which is sort of um, pre-democratic Greece, it's sort of pre-fifth century uh, pubes are in these strange little star shapes. They're very neatly uh, groomed. The male grooming was a big thing in archaic Greece. And it was because there were, that was pre-democratic Greece. There were sort of aristocratic elites in a big way, um, kings and rulers. And they having your pubes really neatly groomed was a sort of sign of superiority. And then in democratic Greece, it was like, no, none of that. 
we're all just letting it hang out. Um, and pubes got it, the representation, artistic representation of pubes got steadily more naturalistic in the course of Greek history. So in classical Greece, democratic Greece, the kind of the Greece that you think of with like Plato and everybody, they were sort of pretty natural, pretty loose, but still a bit groomed. And then in Hellenistic Greece, which is a bit later on after the death of Alexander the Great into the sort of fourth and third centuries BC, um, you get even more wild and natural pubes, which I just think is so fascinating that it changes like that. I think we're moving towards that sort of thing now because I remember when I was a teenager, I went to an all-girls school, which wouldn't recommend, it was hell. Um, but, but I remember if you didn't shave your legs or if you didn't shave your armpits, you were weird and creepy. And by the time I was at university, it was quite common for women just not to shave their armpits. Mm. And now it's becoming more common for women not to shave their legs. And I'm wondering if we're just, as a society, moving towards going... Oh yeah, hair literally just grows and it's normal. Yeah, I think we are. But I think for the Greeks, it was less of a sort of liberation thing and more of initially a kind of democratic approach that pubes are just, yeah, maybe more like that. But then in, in the Hellenistic period, when um, after the kind of might of Alexander, it started to be, so I was reading an article about this that said, this is a direct quote, the victorious days of buoyant stylized curls have, like the Greek state itself, dwindled to a disillusioning twilight <laughs> <laughs> isn't that amazing wow it's incredible so never say that peeves aren't important i don't know if you have ever had but never do again <laughs> i think you underestimate the importance i place on pubic hair yeah uh, okay very <laughs> sorry so okay so i'm there with nothing my husband either has star-shaped pubes or is letting it all hang out um, but if we move to ancient Rome, Xenia, what, what are we doing with pubes there? So I don't have much information on women, but I can tell you that men had their legs shaved and waxed and they had their armpit hair plucked out with tweezers. So there are a couple of poems. Um, they're these kind of satirical poems that we've talked about before on the podcast um, that talk about screams coming from the bars as Roman men paid for people to pluck their hairs out. Oof. Wow. Ouch. I mean, it's like it, it summons scenes from, you know, four-year-old virgin, that scene where he's getting waxed for the first time. Men from that part of the world, Medi Mediterranean and in that area, are considered the hairiest of all peoples in the world. So I can imagine that was a very painful process to go through. What about Enkidu? <laughs> oh, the hairy, hairy wild man. I consider him the hairiest of all peoples. Would he have been shaved? He was eventually groomed to look more like a respectable Mesopotamian gent. I reckon he was hot when he was ungroomed. Mesopotamian men had quite a lot of hair though, right Barney? Their hair is nice and long, as, um, as you've shown in the, in the statuettes. Yes, and beards. beards. I've, I've mentioned beards before, um, I think, but beards are pretty important, especially to Mesopotamian rulers, of which Enkidu was adjacent and the beards get super elaborate by the Neo-Assyrian period, um, which coincides with them being very good at carving reliefs as well. So we have some really HD beards um, from palace reliefs, you know, tightly curled, very long. To be beardless in Neo-Assyrian art, for example, um, was to be young or a eunuch. So yeah, beards and masculinity go hand in hand. Yeah, same here. As in for the Greeks, not for me personally. <laughs> I'll die on this hill. <laughs> in Rome, it goes in fashions for men. So they're in fashion when they're establishing the Roman state. And then when it gets to the late Republic and the early Empire, 
then everyone's clean-shaven by that point until... Adrian, our favourite. Or rather, my favourite. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, our favourite, comrade. <laughs> so he brings back the beard into fashion and then they all have beards until the Emperor Constantine. No way. So he really was proper influencer 200 yeah. years in the future. That's amazing. Was it a good beard? Was it a long beard? It wasn't a long beard. It's thick and curly and it covers most of his lower face, but it's not like long in the Assyrian style. It's cropped to his face. It's not stubble. It's a, it's a beard, but it's cropped to his face. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. His hair was curly and we can see that on all of his statues, but that's also a nod to the Greek style as well, because Hadrian was obsessed with Greek culture. And some people think that that was why he decided to have a beard as well, to emulate the Greek look. Um, other people say it's because he had a weak chin or he had a scar, but those are just nasty rumours. No, let's say let's say the Greek look. That would make sense. I mean, the, a beard is a massive symbol of kind of adult masculinity in Greece. And like, you, like was it Barney, were you saying like a beard is kind of the symbol of, of growing up as a man? So, yeah, as we've established, um, beards for men in Mesopotamia, absolutely the standard. Um, but then over in Egypt, uh, seeing depictions of facial hair other than a very particular style is quite uncommon most people will associate one very famous beard um, with ancient egyptian art which is the false beard that pharaohs wore um, and so if you think of the mask of tutankhamun for example he has a false beard there which is a sort of braided and wrapped long thin beard coming down from the chin that's a false beard um, and that beard itself is an icon of the god osiris um, the god of the dead and pharaohs wore that in reference to him. So an interesting situation is thrown up when, as very rarely happens in Egyptian history, uh, they find themselves with a woman in the position of pharaoh. This happened to Hatshepsut, who was a pharaoh of the Egyptian New Kingdom a little bit before Tutankhamun. And she, in order to legitimise herself as a female pharaoh, which was incredibly unusual, almost never happened, then depicted herself with the false beard. Um, and so a lot of people say that as an interesting point about Hatshepsut. Oh, she was a woman who wore a beard. But really, against the law moment here, no pharaoh had a beard. So Hatshepsut wasn't really missing out on any of the ability to grow a beard because no pharaoh would have had one anyway. Ooh, very cool. Do we know how they attached them? I think like a chin strap. Okay, yeah, nice. Good look. Not a chin strap beard, mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, that's very much not a good look. <laughs> So in ancient Egypt, I'm there with potentially a wig on top of my own hair. And if I'm doing pretty well for myself, maybe a chin strap beard. Still not convinced on the wig front. Um, I don't know how to feel about wigs in, in, in ancient history. I'm surprised that they're such an old thing. Yeah, well, I guess all the resources that you need in the modern day to make a very good wig, uh, or the main resource at least, was available to the ancients as well which is just hair right human hair mm. or at least that's for the high class ones and that's exactly what the fine egyptian wigs were made of human hair and so there's this really interesting kind of expression of power uh, in wigs as an elite um garment is that you literally had the power to wear somebody else's hair that's crazy to me yeah that's so interesting i think the the idea of like power and, and sort of social status represented by hair is so interesting like i was saying earlier about um like male and female slaves 
kind of performing the opposite gender roles. There's also like male slaves didn't normally have beards. So there's again that kind of like denial of your like social identity. It's really interesting. We've we've travelled through hairstyles and we've travelled through pube styles. Um, how about facial hair? I know that we've talked a little bit about beards, but I'm focusing now on like eyebrows. Would my eyebrows have been on fleek? Do you have a monobrow? No, sadly. I'm a very hairy human being, actually. Hairier than I would like, but I've never been blessed with a monobrow. So if you had a monobrow in ancient Rome, that would have been like the sexiest thing. Oh, damn it! They used to like draw them on. It was the ultimate statement of fashion. So I should not have been plucking mine for the last five years, clearly. No, obviously not. I just, I'm very surprised that a monobrow could be considered the, the bee's knees. Because nowadays a monobrow, with the exception of Frida Kahlo, I think in more recent history, the monobrow has been something to avoid and to fear and to hide your children from. They loved it. We also have these mummy paintings from ancient Egypt with people depicted with monobrows or these kind of very close together eyebrows. Can I just chime in with a final uh, potentially unpopular hairstyle? Yes. The archaic statues, so this is again sort of pre-democratic Greece, archaic statues sometimes have something which could loosely be described as a mullet. Mullet, I knew I knew you were going to say mullet. <laughs> it, was, it was the obvious choice. It's quite like short, sort of short curls at the front and then long flowing locks at the back. And I honestly, I think it works for them. There's also that you get the archaic smile on those statues, which is a sort of notoriously scary, like flat, it's kind of like a Kubrick (laughs) stare smile. So they have a mullet and a freaky smile. And I love it. Nice. I I want to know what the ancient Greek is for business in the front party in the back. And maybe we should tweet that. Great shout. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little translation for you. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Right, so um, here I am in the ancient world with my uh, hair up, tightly coiled, under a veil, under a wig. Uh, my pubes are either there or they're not. I do have a monobrow. This is a great look for you, Flo. <laughs> I'm really happy. I'm really happy with all the input everyone's given me. Um, uh, I just must let my husband know uh, that he's mm. in for a surprise. Schrodinger's pubes. Schrodinger's pubes. Are they there? Are they not? We don't know. Who knows? So I think it's time for us to think about our favourite things from today's episode. And I've got several, um, but I'm going to give other people the benefit of choosing first because I'm benevolent and hairy. So I just thought I'd let you guys do it first. I'm going to start with you, Barney. Barney, what was your favourite thing that you've learned about today? I have to give my favourite thing today to Meg. And although it was quoted verbatim from an article, um, it was so bold to assert that the decline of the Greek state (laughs) can be seen in the laxity of pubic grooming in Hellenistic Greece. And I love that. I love it too. I love it so much. In which case, I'm going to hand the the conch to you, Meg. Oh, well, I'm really pleased because I think this might be other people's favourite thing because my favourite thing was, what were they called, Barney? The people with the big eyes? Eshnunna votives. The Eshnunna votives. I absolutely loved those those crazy little big-footed people with their hairstyles. Definitely worth a Google. Mm. Xenia, your favourite thing from today, please. I was also going to say the votives, but I also really love the power dynamics around hair in ancient Greece. Those like gender swapping hairstyles and what people's hair could say about who exactly controls them. 
Mm. It's so interesting. I think there's so much more to be said as well. We didn't even really get into like regional differences in Greece. Like Sparta basically had sort of opposite hairstyle trends to Athens as well. Typical. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'd be better off in Sparta than with my short hair. Oh, yeah, no, you would. Apparently in Sparta, there's very, not very much evidence for this, but apparently women would shave their head on their wedding day. So as a married woman, you'd be growing it out right now. Oh, neat. Okay, so yeah, Sparta then. Sparta's my ancient destination. I won't have to wear an itchy wig. I won't be able to get lice uh, because I'll have a shaved head. Um, so that that's that's probably my destination then, ancient Sparta. I've got to say one of my favourite things has got to, and I'm always going to be the one who brings it down a notch, is pubic singeing. Uh, I think we should bring it back, quite frankly. I quite like the element of danger that's involved in getting, you know, the ancient equivalent of a vajazzle. Um, <laughs> I quite like that there's inherently quite a lot of danger in, in going to get your pube styled. Really like that. Uh, it would put me off. Um, but I think it's, I think it, you know, shows a certain tenacity and bravery. Mm, um, respect. Absolutely. I, I mean, you've got to respect someone who's had their pubes set alight for fun. I don't think it was for fun. <laughs> well, for the sake, for the sake of fashion, you know, like yeah. that's pretty hardcore. Sure. Uh, like, I feel, I feel the same way about anyone who gets a wax. You know. Well, I've really enjoyed uh, today's hair raising episode of Against the Law. I've, uh, I've got a lot to think about in terms of planning my next haircut. You can join us next time for another informative episode of Against the Law.